Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Welcome back to the Summit for Wellness podcast. I am your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by Thrive Market, which is an online marketplace that offers the best-selling natural and organic products all at wholesale pricing. And for every paid membership, Thrive donates one membership to a low-income American family. If you go to summitforwellness.com thrive, then you will get 25% off your first order plus free shipping and you can help support a family in need. Now, it was about one year ago that myself and 14 other people all embarked on a journey of physical and spiritual growth with a couple friends of mine that I have known for quite a few years, and that was all within our yoga teacher training that we were all enrolled in. And if you've never been in a mentorship or a fellowship or a specialized program of any kind, then you probably don't understand how much growth people can have within these types of groups. And for most of these types of groups, people come in not knowing anybody. And by the time they leave, they are best friends with so many people from these types of groups because in such a short amount of time, you just create a really powerful connection with these people. And you get to know them on such a deep level. You get to know them personally. You get to see them grow within their their bodies and their spirits and everything. And it's just a fascinating experience to go through. And I've been through quite a few of these now. So if you've never gone through anything like this, I highly recommend finding some kind of group to jump into and be a part of and just go through that growth because you will meet people that you never would have met before and you'll become very close to people that have the same passions and the same mindset as you. So with that, for this episode, I decided to bring on the teachers of that yoga teacher training course because they have been friends of mine for a very long time, and also they're doing some really cool things in the yoga community. They are actually trying to create community with their yoga practices and trying to bring people together in a lot of different ways and to teach more about yoga other than just the fact that you can get a really good stretch in class. So without further ado, let's go into my conversation with Jordan and Antonella. Jordan and Antonella live and love yoga as a life path, eager to share it with their community and the world. They can be found leading yoga classes, workshops, teacher training, retreats, festivals, and events in the PNW and abroad. And they both were my own yoga teachers. Please welcome Jordan and Antonella to the show. Woo. How's it going? Good. <laughs> this is actually the first podcast that I have two other guests on. So this will be a lot of fun to kind of dive into your guys's background and your spiritual journeys. So with that, Antonella, can you kind of go into your background? What brought you to yoga and what has that done for your own spiritual journey? Yeah, so I started doing yoga back in about 1999, early 1999. And uh, I was pregnant 
I think I was watching Oprah or something, and there was a recommendation to do yoga to help with labor. So that was kind of this first moment of like, oh, there's Lamas, there's other types of childbearing classes you can take, but yoga will like really help you with the pushing and the mental fortitude to get through it. And and I and so I kind of approached it in that in that way, and I found. Um, some local classes at the time, there was uh, pretty hard to find. There was a lot less studios than there are now. It took a little bit of hunting. And I found uh, Iyengar-style yoga classes in Bellevue, which were very close to my house. And they were very alignment-focused and structured and grounded in the, um, I don't know, tradition and science of yoga before it came to the West. So imagine the yoga now um, – without all the watering down uh, and accessibility of the short extension attention spans that we have here and it was much more of like what I would think of as yoga if that if if that makes sense and uh, I did that throughout my pregnancy and then ended up having to go quite a bit less once the baby actually appeared and there's obviously a little bit more challenge to get to classes so that's when I started to discover the world of DVDs and doing yoga classes that were pre-recorded and you'd have maybe one or two of them and you'd do them over and over and over <laughs> which very quickly made me realize that my brain does not work well with that I like variety rather than repetition and so that's when I started to kind of take it into my own hands. I would start the recording for the umpteenth millionth time, start to get bored, and then go off on my own tangent and start to do, I guess, my own home practice, which at the time I didn't even know really what that was. I just thought I was, I don't know, kind of being not a very good student by not doing what was on the DVD. Uh, but that was kind of how it started and evolved over the years. I ended up um, finding a really good teacher at a gym setting and did that and um, had many teachers over the years that I connected with. And um, yeah, so it kind of helped me through a lot of things. And I was what, only 22, 23 at the time. So it's, it's been tried and true in my life. Now, you mentioned the struggle of having a baby and trying to make time for uh, going to a place like a yoga studio or a gym. Do you have any advice to people that are in those type of situations about how they can start to implement yoga or even um, other fitness or movement-based activities within their life, even if they have a little one running around? Well, if I was able to do it back then, like you got no excuses now. I feel like most everybody has access to some sort of internet um, or television or something. And there's so many online resources now um, of free classes. You can go to YouTube. You can go to the library and borrow a book and figure out how to start to connect to what your body needs and and start to work on some breath stuff. Like there's so many things that you can do at home and maybe you're doing that for 20 minutes while your kid naps or maybe you're doing it while they're playing and crawling around on you. And 
some people um, kind of make the excuse of not being able to do a home practice because they get distracted by laundry or their kids or their dog. But I, personally, I think that is more of the yoga practice. Like, can you still stay present and do what you intended to do even with these distractions? Can you still maintain um, your awareness and your focus even when there's these things that might not be this perfect, serene setting of a yoga studio? Uh, if anything, I think there's something a little bit more enticing and challenging about a home practice in a way that uh, if you if you fully embrace it, it can be something that you really have no excuse. You can you can do yoga whenever you want, wherever you want. And I agree that it can be very challenging to do it at home because if you're at your own house, then you're thinking about the laundry or the dishes or everything else that needs to get done around the house. So being able to block all that out and continue with your own practice is a great ability to develop. Right. So develop, develop as a person and to just take that moment to say it's not going anywhere. Like you're still going to be there when you're done. So be okay with pushing that off for 30 minutes and doing something for yourself. And it's not that you're slacking or you're being, you know, a bad dog owner or, you know, a lazy housewife or whatever your concern is. It's like, all of this time that you put into your own connection means that you will be better at those other things that you're doing. You'll be more attentive. You'll be, um, I don't know, more present in the things that re are required of you if you take that 20, 30 minutes. And that's the thing. Like You notice I'm not saying do an hour. I think doing an hour of a home practice is a bit much. Um, but if you can shoot for 20, 30 minutes, I think that's fantastic. You are also a personal trainer. So what came first, becoming a yogi or the personal training? The yogi came first. Uh, I did not start personal training until after my second child, which was mm, maybe four or five years later, I guess. And um, that, it was an interesting evolution. I think it was part of me knowing that I was in a bit of a precarious marriage and that I wanted to find some way to start to earn an income. I was a stay-at-home mom. I needed to figure out how to make money and uh, also be able to have the kids nearby. And most gyms have pretty decent kind of drop-in childcare. So that was my thought process. It was I could go and have a couple clients. The kids could go into the childcare area, meet some other kids, and, and then I wouldn't have too much guilt. And, and if they needed me, I could be right there. Uh, I also have always been very active and um, physically uh, able, I guess, in a way, fairly athletic. And um, so I had a lot of friends who were new moms as well who were kind of trying to lose weight or regain confidence or regain strength, and they would always kind of come to me for advice or help. So it kind of became this thought at one point of like, oh, I could actually charge money for this. So I went and got um, certification and started working at Gold's Gym in Redmond. And um, the side of me that is more business driven and uh, management driven um, escalated pretty quickly. And I ended up uh, working my way into management of a team of like 30 trainers. And then I saw the <laughs> inside workings of the gym world and decided pretty quickly I didn't want to be there. Not really um, kind of, it's very 
sales heavy and uh, not necessarily looking for overall wellness. So that's not at least the vibes that were being managed while I was there. So I started to quickly make my exit plan and moved on to seeing my clients uh, out of my home or out of their home after just a couple years at Gold's. I realized pretty quickly that you, you top out very fast at how much you're able to make financially. And I always had a bit of a struggle making money for other people <laughs> rather than just being in business for myself. So then I took the training um, solo off to my own business and uh, the clients over the years, you know, I, I have had some clients now for 12 years and pretty quickly they meet their goals as far as weight loss or nutrition. And yeah, we've got to tweak them from here and there. But overall, as my clients were aging, what I noticed was more so than needing a lot of um, cardiovascular or, or strength building uh, because they had done that, right? They knew how to maintain it. They had learned what most of them needed was yoga. They needed connection and mindfulness and stretching and meditation. And so I would say that the yogi was always there for me, for my own practice, but personal training helped me evolve to the idea of like, oh, maybe this would actually help my clients and maybe this is what I want to teach. And I like how you talked about yoga isn't just about stretching. So <laughs> we'll talk about more of that a little bit later. But before that, Jordan, can you go into it? your journey into yoga a little bit and tell us how you were able to uh, now become a yogi yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> so my journey was, uh, I guess, also health related. Hers was more like trying to have health for a future human being. And mine was very much more personal health related. Um, I struggle with autoimmune disorders, uh, most notably ulcerative colitis. And so doctors had always kind of been like, pushing me in certain ways to try less intense activities. Um, I was a water polo player in high school, played sports my entire life. And so I always kind of pushed myself a little too hard. And yoga was the first thing that I tried that didn't force me to, you know, push myself so much that I would hurt myself. Um, and yeah, eventually I just got uh, a friend who had always been a friend since high school and she was just like you should come try yoga sometime and so finally he did the call uh and went and tried a hot yoga class which was really really intense <laughs> ended up not doing yoga for a little while after that um but then i was with a girl at the time and she got us a groupon uh the ever interesting groupon that brought me into a <laughs> yoga studio and ended up being uh, balance in Woodenville, and that's where Antonella was teaching and managing. Um, dun, dun, and dun. that was also where I met you. Uh, so that was definitely um, my introduction into it. Uh, but even then, I was still convinced, like, oh, this is just my like my precursor to getting back into the gym. Like, I want to get back and have six pack abs, and I want to be, you know, really strong again. I want to gain all back all the weight that I lost when I got sick. Uh, and I remember after a few months of doing yoga classes with you guys, uh, I was like, hey, you know what? I think I'm good. Like my Groupon's <laughs> over. I'm going to go try out the gym really quick. Did a Groupon at a gym and then was back within like two weeks. <laughs> and I then, called it. I yeah. was like, you'll be back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was there for that class too. It was like the last day of your Groupon. And <laughs> you told Antonella, today's it. 
And then I'm going to, I think you were going to Gold's Gym next or something on another Groupon, and she looked at you and said, you'll be back. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And she was right. I definitely came back. Um, I don't know. It's it's funny how when you do something for so long, you feel like that's the right thing to do. And it's always weird to kind of step outside of your comfort zone and not only try something new, but stick to something new. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really the toughest part because we're always kind of trying stuff new. We're always trying to push ourselves outside of our comfort zone, but staying outside of the comfort zone is a lot more difficult. Um, And then yoga just kind of made sense. Uh, I got a minor in philosophy in college, and so I really liked um, the mindset that came along with it, less about, you know, attachment to physical things and more a much more grandiose idea almost a spiritual way of living and experiencing the world uh so then yeah she Antonella then convinced me to do her teacher training so went through and did her teacher training and after that was just kind of hooked in my own way whether it was um business actually like working as a yoga teacher or just practicing yoga Um, and now I've found a way to kind of incorporate it where part-time working for yoga and part-time doing other business stuff. So, yeah. And you don't just do yoga. You have another hobby slash, um, (laughs) thing you do in the evenings. Can you talk about what that is and how you've incorporated that into your yoga practice too? Yeah. So when I was in college, I found electronic dance music uh, and fell in love just like so many other people in my generation. And after graduating college, um, I was really struggling with my health. The ulcerative colitis was getting worse. Um, I couldn't keep on weight. Like I was saying, it was just it was a struggle um, physically, mentally, emotionally. And so uh, after that, I took a little bit of time off of work after school my parents were like hey just come live at home for six months hang out like get your health in check um and so i decided hey i've got this free time i'll start djing so i started playing around with djing a bit uh and that ended up spiraling off into something pretty awesome and allowed me to play a lot of gigs around seattle and meet a lot of people but the thing about djing is like now that i look at it they're very similar but the nightlife world is almost the antithesis to yoga. It's very like, stay out late, party, uh, whatever. Like, you're not gonna regret your decisions. You're young, have fun while you can. (laughs) Uh, So it was kind of my way of balancing out the two. And now that I've found a balance between the two, they actually complement each other really well um, in terms of, you know, getting outside of your comfort zone, a, a place where you can almost like, reach a spiritual attainment with another group of individuals. Um, so yeah, I, I still do the two of those together. And now we've started incorporating some of those where uh, Antonella will teach the class and I'll DJ the class. And then there are different times where you know we try to switch it up and I hop in and teach. And so yeah, it's a, it's a fun dynamic. Can you both talk about just that type of experience, having the DJ going while teaching a yoga class at these festivals and all these different events? It's tricky, actually. We're getting better at it. I think sometimes we nail it and we're like, yeah, that was so good. And other times we're like, oh. <laughs> Communication, I mean, anytime you're co-teaching, there, there's a lot of 
communication required, like, okay, this is what time we're at, or okay, you pick up the ball here, and it's very team-oriented. And so the challenge with the DJing is he's not always, I'm not always able to communicate with him. So sometimes we have to just send little... <laughs> She's not good at picking up on my hands. I know. His hands are very confusing. <laughs> they like, wave something around or mouth something in his mouth, and I'm like, I have no clue what you need from me right now (laughs) so that's a little tricky we try to plan it out as much as possible as you've experienced i'm not really a class planner i teach very organically and in the moment depending who shows up Um, but the bonus to that is jordan has obviously taken many many of my classes so he's able to craft sort of a game plan for what this set and the music is going to sound like and can try to ebb and flow a little bit with me um Yeah, it's interesting because I sometimes teach classes with no music and want it that way, like totally quiet, no music. And then sometimes I want music and really the difference is, um, I don't know, kind of the set and setting. If we're in a festival, if it's more event oriented, then bring it on. I want really good music. I want us to coordinate that and make it epic and really like connect to all the senses. If it's a class that's more focused on the cerebral and the um, learning aspect, maybe you want to become a more skillful arm balancer or you want to be a better teacher, then I probably wouldn't have any music because it's going to be a lot more intellectually focused. Yeah, DJing for a yoga class is definitely one of the harder things <laughs> I've done. Um, just because it's a constant changing uh, movement and the emotions are constantly changing. When you're on a dance floor, like as a DJ, you kind of control the emotion. But if you're DJing while someone else is leading the class, you're almost following the emotion and trying to Match amplify it. the emotion yeah. as it goes. Um, so it's really unique to try to be able to work that together. Um, But I like the way the two pair because music is just such an integral part of so many people's lives. It's Mm -hmm. just this natural instinct towards beautiful music. Um, And it can be tough because some people, you know, don't like your specific style of music and they're like, oh, this doesn't quite fit. Um, So it's definitely difficult at times. But overall, I think it's a lot like certain yoga classes where you can take a class and then suddenly you're like, all right, I'm really not feeling this teacher, really not feeling the vibe of this class. But overall, you can still shut it all out. You can get in your head and you can end up having a fantastic class. But that's up to you. Mm-hmm. It's also similar with music. You go see someone's set and you're like, yeah, I mean, this set's okay. Like, I'm not really digging it. But if you can kind of transcend your negative thinking, you mm-hmm. can be like, oh, whatever, let's just have fun with it. Then it can be great. And so you combine those two together in a yoga class Uh, with music and if enough people kind of let go of any of their preconceived notions about how the class should be or what the music Mm -hmm. should sound like should sound like then you kind of get this everyone tuning into this same level Mm -hmm. and it makes for some of the most fun yoga classes I've ever experienced. Yeah we're teaching at a festival um, in a couple weeks in Florida and the it's basically a camp out and the the people who are running the camp out all are underneath one label and that type of music is very specific it's called dirty bird and there's definitely a vibe that they carry so for that set for example it's really fun for jordan to work ahead of time and pull specific artists and songs from the dirty bird label and carry or craft the musical portion of the class in a way that is 
going to kind of amp them up for that night because our class will be around 5.30 p.m. It's before everybody goes to the stages that night and enjoys the music. So maybe he might give some teasers of things they might hear that night or things that will get them excited for it. And with that type of class, then I know, okay, this is the climate. This is the type of set he's going to create. Then I might craft the physical asana and the verbiage that I use in the class around that similar type of vibe. A little bit more funky, a little bit more dirty and fun, a little bit less like introspective and chiller, right? It's going to be a little bit more upbeat. And so that's where our classes can vary so drastically when you bring in the different type of music intention, the setting and uh, where we know they'll be going after this. Like what are we trying to prepare them for in their day? And sometimes it's we're preparing preparing them to go to bed and relax. And other times, like an event like this, we want to kind of like get them amped up and excited and ready to go have a fantastic night. I would love to hear how you manage people that are um, on different types of experiences. On a level. <laughs> yes, up on a level, up in the clouds a little bit. How do you handle that? Sometimes it's really funny because there'll be a minimum amount of clothing. That's always interesting. Or their clothing is like not yoga clothes. Not very functional. <laughs> not very functional. Maybe a onesie or some strange. Yeah. Um, I love it. I don't know. I love that aspect. Yeah. I think it's um, the, the biggest key for me is tuning into where that person's at and mm -hmm. accepting them where they're at. Much of the same way of, you know, dealing with a client who comes in and is in a super bad mood mm -hmm. like you can't oh, just yeah. can't be like oh all right well we can't work with that you gotta you gotta work with what you have and you gotta kind of um try to like pull extra energy mm -hmm. out of certain people at different times but most of the time it's just being like all right i see you i know you're on a little bit of a different wavelength so how can i like cater to that a little bit more like there's just there's something about an added level of positivity mm -hmm. that really makes everyone feel more comfortable. Well, and that's and what's grounding. Fun. I would say that a lot of them, when they're on a level at usually at a festival like that, it's either they're in drunk, like intoxicated, right? So then we might be more mindful of a lot of like upside down stuff or twisting things that might make them feel slightly nauseous or um, not be, you know, balanced. And then on the opposite end of it, if people are on something like a psychedelic or something that's kind of got them in a trippy headspace, then we might try to tune into that and sort of feed it a little bit, like maybe speak on levels that um, help them expand their heart or their mind, but also giving everybody, whether they're on some sort of a substance or not, giving them a sense of grounding. Because I do think that's super, super important um, so that they can feel the freedom to be whimsical and lighthearted and playful because they know that their feet are, are firmly on the ground. Yeah. You mentioned accepting the people in whatever shape that they come to your classes. And I think that brings up a really good point that people need to accept themselves and where they're at in their own yoga practice or spiritual practice or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. because so many of us can go on Instagram and see these yogis doing one-handed handstand straight into all these crazy flows and we think oh we'll never get to that point but that's not really the point of yoga is it no 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 and that's why i love the correlation between yoga and music because so many of those these festivals like the very beginning of the whole electronic dance music scene was all centered around the people that felt like misfits yeah like it's where all the misfits went 
to find comfort in a place where people just accepted you for whoever you were and you didn't have to try to fit into a specific genre or style of anything. You just came as you were and people accepted you. And that's exploded into this huge world. And I think yoga started out very much the same way of like, you come with all your own stuff and you work on it. But then in our current world, it's kind of resegregated into mm-hmm. different things. And it's like you said, you want to try to do this Instagram pose or you want to be in this specific sound camp. Um, but overall, I think that acceptance is what people need. And that's mm-hmm. what allows people to reach their fullest potential. Um, and so when we do these music events, people already on an elevated state, whether or not they've in imbibed anything they're still on an elevated mind state Mm -hmm. and that can also help happen in yoga classes when people are already in this elevated mind state and if you can tap into people in those specific mind states you can really help them get even further right and there's a lot of like i mentioned earlier kind of excuses of like oh i can't do yoga because i can't afford it or i don't have the right clothes or i don't feel comfortable in the fancy studio and Um, so sometimes it's just meeting people where they're at. And I know that we have spent quite some time teaching in more of a traditional, or I guess what we'll call the Western traditional setting of a yoga studio, right? You go in, it's, uh, mostly white, mostly higher income, lots of women, lots of nice yoga outfits, and they come in and they do the poses and that's fine. And we've been able to transcend that a bit and create more depth in that type of surrounding and to try to connect to more people than maybe who would just show up at that typical studio. But when we started to uh, notice at the festivals we were already going to that there was a bit of a need for grounding, for centering, for connection and, um, and we decided that that would be our our next adventure is like, how do we start to meet these people where they're at? People who maybe have never done yoga, who would never walk into that studio. How do we uh, greet them where they're at, no matter what they're wearing or what level they're on and and show them a little peek into this world of connection and acceptance. And like Jordan said, they're already on that wavelength in a festival setting, like the mantras plur right what is that peace love unity respect i mean those are all fantastic uh, mantras or mindsets that we definitely encourage in a yoga studio setting as well so um, whether you like electron electronic dance music or not doesn't really matter it's like we're all just want to be loved and connected and and i don't know a lot of that starts with our own bodies and our own mindset and um, wherever you're at it's just fun to meet people where they are and show them show them some new things. So as people listening to this, they might start recognizing that yoga isn't just about stretching, where a lot of people think of yoga as stretching. Um, can you talk on a deeper level about yoga? Is it just stretching like a lot of people think, or is there a mind component and are you also building strength and what are all these different limbs of yoga that all feed into the actual background behind the development of yoga? Yeah, we teach at a a university right now (laughs) and it's almost every single day someone comes in and we're like, so, you know, what are you guys looking for in class today? Just kind of seeing where people are at and so often people are like, yeah, I'm just looking to stretch. I just want to stretch today. And you're like, yeah, well, that'll happen. But like, that's just part 
of the grander scheme of things. Um, and so you brought up the the eight limbs, and uh, Antonella can get into the the specifics of each one if she wants. But uh, the eight limbs, like people come into yoga thinking, all right, cool, the physical thing. That's what I know of yoga. They can do warrior pose, um, but the physical postures are just one of eight specific limbs, um, which is just such a small portion that goes more into mindset, but a lot of it really focuses on uh, your interaction with other people in the world and your interaction with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the doorway, like this is the thing. There's times where we might sound a little judgmental <laughs> because we're really passionate about what we do and the way that we do it. But uh, I would say that any way that people choose to enter the doorway of yoga, I I'm excited about. I'm excited however you choose to enter. The difference between someone who does yoga, in my in in my opinion, and the difference between someone who does yoga versus someone who considers themselves a yogi is the physical versus all the other layers. So like Jordan mentioned, there's eight limbs. You can imagine a tree or spokes on a wheel, however you want to think of it. And the one that most people enter through would be the asana practice or the physical practice. This is a combination of strength and stretch. Sometimes it's active, sometimes it's dynamic, sometimes it's passive. There's a lot of different modalities for it. Um, Once you get past the physical part and you start to learn about the other aspects, ideally a class has all of the things in it, but Unfortunately, around here, it tends to be a little bit more fitness focused. Uh, and you mentioned stretch, which is funny. Uh, we encounter that a lot at the university is a lot of the teenage or teenagers, kids, young adults, what do I even call them? They're looking to stretch out because they're sitting in a chair the majority of the day and their body feels stiff. Um, but when we go to um, more of a studio setting, I, I do notice a lot of the more type A hot yogis are looking for strength. They want core work. They want chaturangas. They want the yoga butt, right? So either way, it's still very aesthetic based. The other aspects that we start to get into, like Jordan mentioned, is the yamas and the niyamas. Like how do you interact with yourself and how do you interact with others? And what are these kind of moral restraints or, I mean, you could go to like, uh, what is it? The bible stuff. The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, right? So a lot of different faiths have different ways of labeling it, but it's like treat yourself well, treat other people well. Uh, And then when you start to get into the deeper practices, uh, you think about pranayama, which is the movement of energy, a lot of its breath work, like conditioning the breath in a lot of different ways. Um, And then moving into pratyahara, which is the withdrawal of the senses, starting to experiment with taking away what you hear and what you see and what you feel and uh, going a little bit deeper. And then we move into dharana, which is like concentration and really focusing your attention. You can do different type of meditative practices like uh, chataka, looking at a um, candle uh, flame and stuff like that. And then dhyana is when we start to get into more specific meditation practice, uh, which Jordan can chat a little bit about. I know he's been on a bit of a meditation adventure. And then eventually, like the eighth limb that we're kind of shooting for, if all of the class is laid out just right, uh, is this idea of samadhi or a blissful state where um, 
you've connected to what you consider the divine. Maybe that's in you, maybe it's around you. Um, but to me, yoga is about all of those elements. And we usually enter it through the physical practice because we are bound by our bodies, by the way they feel and the pains that we have and the injuries we've dealt with. And once we can start to work through those things is when we get to all of the other stuff. Jordan, since you're on a whole meditation uh, pathway right now, can you dive into what meditation has been doing for you lately and why did you decide to jump down that limb of the yeah. eight limbs? Yeah, so meditation, um, I guess, is the the in thing at the moment. <laughs> All uh, the CEOs are doing it. Yeah, and I mean, on a similar vein, like that's what yoga has become over the last couple of years, but yoga has kind of found its settling and has continued to grow steadily, but meditation is making this huge explosion in, um, in our world at the moment, possibly just the U.S. because of how crazy things are, but I think <laughs> very much the world at large. Um, there's a multitude of benefits that you can look into um, that are, you know, kind of specific to you, though. It depends on how meditation works for you. Um, for me, I'm using it, um, it's kind of like stress relief to uh, kind of categorize everything that I have going on and, and almost like a break. It's really a, a time that you can give to yourself where you can just kind of tune out. Um, and meditation has been a difficult one because like so many other people, you feel like you're trying to do something. You're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to get somewhere. Like Antonella mentioned, like, oh, if you hit all seven of those limbs and you get to this samadhi, you're at this final pure bliss. You're like, oh, I've gotten somewhere. Um, but what's really interesting is the more I listen to spiritual leaders, it's it, it's always a work in progress. You, you've never attained anything. It's the it's the the drive that keeps you going um, that's kind of worth it in the end. Um, so yeah, the, I, I recommend trying meditation to people all the time, uh, but it's one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do to actually stick to it. I'll find myself sticking to it for a while and then falling off the bandwagon. But I think of a lot of it is just have this pressure of, oh, I failed, you know, oh, I want to do it five days a week. And then you do it four days a week. And you're like, oh, well, screwed that one up. Guess we're not going to meditate anymore. Um, but what I've been really interested in lately is kind of getting beyond all the suggestions of how to meditate and what to do and mostly just the idea of closing your eyes trying to not attach to any thoughts and if you find that you've attached to a thought you disengage and you go back and you go oh I totally let my mind go on a tangent now I'm going to come right back to it and then you just do that over and over and over again. So rather than this, like, am I meditating right? Am I doing it right? Am I sitting right? Oh, that noise distracted me. Does that mean I should come out of this meditation? How long should I do it? It's very much just try to let the thoughts dissipate. And if you find yourself attaching, you detach and you come right back to center, but you acknowledge that you detach, but you don't judge. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Meditation is something I personally haven't done a whole lot of, and it's on my list to get or start adding into my daily routine because I know how powerful it is. Uh, one of the fears I guess I have with it is how do you clear your mind in a way to be able to get back to that center point? Cause I know if I have any just free moment of thought, then 
a million things flood into my brain. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, that's definitely the hardest thing about <laughs> meditation. Uh, and that is the thing about it. Like, I don't think it'll ever disappear. I think sometimes you'll have a great day where you're like, oh, I can meditate now. Like I didn't have any thoughts really come up or when I did, they just dissipated. But then the next day it'll be the hardest meditation you've ever had in your life. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think a great place to start is since we are very technology driven is using an app. Um, there are several apps that you can find. Um, one that we have been big fans of is called one giant mind. Uh, and the one is just the number one. It's not O N E. Um, but so one giant mind is a great place to start. They give you like a little challenge to start with. Um, I know a lot of people that are fitness minded like a challenge. And so having a seven day challenge that then evolves into a 30 day challenge can be really beneficial for someone like wanting to stick to something. Yeah. And the challenge is set up in a way that you're learning something with each step. So each day it's like, all right, we're doing this for a short amount of time. Here's a little bit of guidance. And then after there's a little pop-up that allows you to journal about what you experienced, to answer a few questions about what you experienced, and then there's uh, feedback like, okay, well, you were feeling restless, and this might be what was coming up, and this might be ways that you could deal with it, and uh, eventually it gets you to a point where you're feeling confident in in pursuing it, maybe just with the timer aspect, which for everyone, even if you're not using an app, I really suggest using a timer because the first thing that tends to pop up in the mindset of how long has it been? How many more minutes do I have? And as soon as that conversation starts in your head, it, it opens up the floodgates of all sorts of other things. So if you know confidently that you've set a timer for five minutes, you know that until you hear that nice little pleasant bell go off, you're still in it. And you don't have to worry about how long it's been or if you're going to be late for something else you're going to do or, oh, did I fall asleep? Like you don't have to have that whole conversation with yourself. So I think a timer is absolutely bare minimum. And then if you want to use an app, the nice thing about that is plugging little, uh, earbuds in or headphones in does help with some of the sensory issues. It helps you. Uh, they can also have aspects where you can have a little bit of quiet music or spacey sounds that are helping guide you rather than it being totally silent and uh, the, the noises in the room or the dog or your partner in the other room, like those distractions. And uh, so I think it's really good for beginners. And um, I would say for you, Brian, just as a suggestion is start now, start today and literally do it for a minute. And then tomorrow do it for two minutes and then for three minutes. And maybe by the end of the week, you get to five minutes and then you stay at five minutes for like two months. Like the expectation that we have to do a full hour yoga class or that we have to meditate for 30 minutes or 20 minutes, like just doing it for a minute is more effective than not at all. So uh, you definitely get the benefits even from a short amount of, of concentration in that way. Yeah, I want to start doing it right before I go to bed and see if that makes um, going to sleep a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Now, when I think of someone meditating and the position that they're in, I think of a little yogi that's kind of floating in space with their legs crossed and in their lotus position. Yeah, on top <laughs> of a levitating. mountain somewhere in a robe. <laughs> um, is there a right or wrong way to be sitting to meditate? Absolutely. Should you be uncomfortable? You know, it's kind of opinion based. I, I do hear a lot of meditation teachers who say you do need to be upright. You need to be seated and upright in order to have that full attention. 
I'm not quite on that train of thought. I personally think that, like I said, even a few minutes of meditation is more important than none at all. So if my physical body isn't prepared to be in a seat for more than a couple of minutes, like maybe my hips haven't, I haven't been able to do yoga that day and stretch them out, or my low back is feeling tight, then I think you do it wherever. If you're in an airplane seat, if you're, um, you know, lying down in bed and you're having a hard time falling asleep, like I personally think your body should be wherever it is in that moment when your brain says, I need a break. Yeah, I think guided meditations can be the most helpful thing early on because um, they'll they'll guide you through all those things. Yeah, that's I mean, true. You, can, you can find them on YouTube or you can download tons of free apps that all have them. And so we have a specific one we like best, but whatever app you use, a lot of times it'll be like, all right, find a comfortable seated position sit up straight, but don't worry about sitting up, you know, perfectly straight. Mm-hmm. Like don't strain too hard in it, um, which can be helpful for sure to be actual seated, I think helps in the case of like falling asleep or whatnot. Um, but you said in your case, you're trying to fall asleep. And I recommend finding a guided meditation on helping you fall asleep. Yeah. More of like a Nidra. Uh, I mean, you can do a specific Nidra, which is yoga Nidra is a, a type of yoga, just like vinyasa or a different style like mm-hmm. yin um whereas very similar but yoga or i guess meditation itself they have guided meditations where someone will be like all right lay in bed start to think of this and they'll kind of guide your brain through something and then lots of times there will be large uh time periods of nothing mm-hmm. and so you'll completely pass out and then you'll wake up suddenly to them being like all right now you're Mm-hmm. No good. Or sometimes there won't be anything. It'll just be like silence for the last five minutes of that. Yeah, they'll uh, guide you in, and then it'll and then you're out. out. Yeah, and then you wake up in the morning. And you're like, oh, I just passed out. Um, so I think the guided ones are super helpful. I think being in an upright seated position is the most beneficial if you're actually like trying to meditate. But again, you can meditate anywhere, doing anything at any time, even if you close your eyes for five seconds and you just like breathe. Yeah, It's like the, what was that anger management stuff of Mm -hmm. like, all right, count backwards from 10. Like, okay, cool. That's your 10 second meditation that you just did really quick to calm everything down. We travel a lot and we were in the Taipei airport for a layover and we kind of had this like exasperated moment of how are we going to sleep? Like we're going to die. We're going to a training. We need to be there and be ready to work. Like let's try to rest. So we hunkered up on these this couch and I had one earbud and he had the other and we did a guided meditation that was focused on sleep and I just put it on repeat and it was going until we both passed out for a significant enough amount of time that we felt like we could rest and we were not in a prime, you know, seated position or lying down. I think we were both kind of curled up weirdly on our sides on this couch. And uh, But it was what we needed to quiet our minds down enough to rest. Um, whether we fully got deep sleep or not, I'm not really sure. We might have just been in like a deep meditative space. But um, again, it was just one of those things where I was super grateful to have that on my phone <laughs> and to be able to use it. Yeah. And I personally struggle with meditating in the sense that I try to have everything be perfect. Mm-hmm. I try to be seated on a cushion, sitting up nice and tall. There's no distractions around. I have earbuds in so I can't hear anything. Like you know, maybe an eye mask over my eyes to like keep everything dark. 
So I, I put all these expectations on like, oh, my meditation setup has to be perfect. But like we started this whole conversation with, Antonella saying that you have no excuse to do yoga. You can do it with a little one climbing over your back. Like mm-hmm. it, it's fine, but that's where the real work is, is learning how to uh, quiet the mind in stressful or intense situations or just busy situations. Or just not so perfect. If yeah. you're in a taxi cab and you're trying to go from one place to another and you're like, all right, this is the only time I have five minutes, then you sit there for five minutes with your earbuds in and go, okay, I'm meditating. We're good. Yeah, exactly. I think um, I think it's just, again, part of the limbs and that's why so many people start with the physical practice. They start with the stretching. They start with that preparation of the body so that they can get maybe to a meditative mind space. So uh, whatever the entry is, um, yeah, I, I prefer as, even with the physical practice that there's at least a few minutes dedicated to a meditative place, whether that's lying on your back in Shavasana or an upright seat, um, just having a little bit of time devoted to that for every practice. Does meditation help you to uh, control your emotions better as well? Like to uh, not get angry um, so quickly in certain moments? And uh, I would say, I would focus less on the word control. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it helps me control my emotions. It helps me observe them. Because I don't necessarily think that we need to control the anger, the jealousy, the happy, the sad. I actually think those are all super important things to do and to feel. Um, It's how we let those emotions influence our actions that I think meditation and mindfulness is very, very helpful with. So um, being able to sit in the discomfort of feeling angry, of feeling frustrated, of uh, excitement of sadness and being able to, uh, separate yourself from them a little bit and choose a right action from those emotions. Like, am I acting in this way towards my partner because I'm jealous? Okay. (laughs) Observe that. And so that's where I think meditation is really crucial because then my action could be I'm feeling jealous therefore I'm going to lash out at my partner or my action could be slow down be mindful why am I feeling jealous is this really his fault or is this something that I'm feeling insecure of and therefore I could ask him to do something or uh, help me in a way so that I feel less insecure. So it's less about the emotion that I was feeling and a little bit more of um, awareness in how of the ripple effect inward and outward. So it's observation is insanely important, just like she said. And it, it stems f- from this almost need to like disassociate yourself from yourself <laughs> because every single one of us is crazy. period you crazy like every single person is crazy in their own ways and we get stuck on this like no i'm not crazy they're crazy crazy. yeah and it's by meditating it helps you observe your craziness and so just like you said if a million thoughts come into your mind when you're trying to meditate then you're observing that a million thoughts are coming in your mind and you're realizing that and that's the real meditation Because the more you can observe what's going on, the more you can observe 
how you react to situations. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it helps with anger management per se, but you can observe how you reacted to a situation and go, oh, that probably wasn't the best thing to do. I'm now going to react to that situation different next time. But unless you really give yourself time to feel those emotions and then look back on them, there's no real way to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot of really good information about uh, meditation. And I'm glad that you guys were able to kind of talk through it and bring more light to it that it's not just uh, hovering in one spot (laughs) trying to clear your mind. Now, both of you, uh, when I was in your teacher training 200-hour class, you would put on some uh, special classes for us where you would have to rely on partners, and that is called acrovinyasa. And it's something that you both have been doing a um, a lot with that to help build community. Can you talk about what is acrovinyasa and how has that been able to grow the community around you, and even your connection with each other? Oof, it's been huge. It's been (laughs) huge. Okay, so I'll tackle this one. Um, I, yeah, I actually was not a fan of acro yoga for a really long time. I thought of acro yoga as not yoga and acrobatics and circus tricks. And Uh, It wasn't until quite a bit later in my yoga path, so maybe like five years ago, uh, when I started to notice that there was different ways to do it, that there's actually a style of acro yoga called acro vinyasa that is founded by uh, Claudine Hansel-Lafond, and they're the founders of Yoga Beyond. They're our teachers when it comes to this type of practice. They uh, created an acro yoga partner experience that is founded in yoga. The roots are in yoga. And so we went to that training and we fell in love with the practice and with each other in a lot of ways because uh, we were really embraced in this atmosphere of family and connection and trust and communication. And the practice, I think, is so important to literally help change this world. The way that a typical acro vinyasa class is set up is three key elements. We begin with a solo vinyasa practice, which is mindful breath and movement. You're on your own mat. You set your intention. You do some breath work. You flow and warm up the body. And then we move into a little bit more of a creative vinyasa where uh, we might start to cue certain poses on the earth and have you notice things about them and and then uh, kind of associate in your mind that eventually you might take these poses up into the air. So we start to kind of flirt with that idea. And then we move into groups of two and start to work on inversion. So it's part inversion training as well, uh, working with a partner to safely um, get upside down and maybe a headstand or a handstand or a forearm balance. And uh, part of that is to help build body awareness for what will need to happen in the L-based acro, but also just to connect with someone else in the room and communicate and breathe together. And uh, and then the kind of 
next portion of class is the acro yoga portion. Usually it's L-based flying where there's a base and a flyer, and then we get into groups of three and have a spotter so that we have this acro yoga threesome to kind of build even more connection, even more communication. And it's really, really fun. It's playful. We then take the poses that we went through with them in the flow on the ground and we take them up into the air so they can start to feel a different way of practicing. And um, this connection is really fun. We do it a lot in um, more event type atmospheres as well as um being at festivals. It's become quite popular at the classes we teach at the University of Washington because uh, I think they're just younger and in the college atmosphere and kind of wanting to meet new people and interact. So it's been a, a hit there. And then uh, to wrap up a practice like that or a workshop like that, they go back to their own mat, they do a cool down, they kind of take some moments to be really mindful or maybe to meditate on the idea of of this full circle that we just created. You started off on your own, you built up uh, some strength, some fearlessness, some connection, and you supported each other in a lot of different dynamic ways with your hands, your feet, your breath, your smiles. And then they come back to all of that in their own body, their own breath. They cool it back down into a Shavasana and really let all of that experience resonate. And it's so awesome to see the little smile creep across people's face in Shavasana when they kind of feel uh, the little adventure that they were just on with the people around them. It is super exciting to be able to go up into the air and <laughs> um, nail one of the poses that you were doing in your own sing uh, solo flow. So I'm, I definitely prefer to be a base in that situation because flyer is kind of scary. Mm -hmm. uh, but I definitely think it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, Jordan kind of feels similarly. You like to base a little more, don't you? Yeah, I definitely much prefer to base. Um, it's also just like kind of my comfort zone. We've talked about stepping outside of the comfort zone. Yeah. Um, for me, like I definitely do enjoy flying. I, I enjoy flying when I can do it with someone who's experienced, who uh, is my size or A little bigger. bit bigger than and, me. <laughs> and it's so funny because I say that to people all of the time in class. Like it doesn't matter if you're bigger than the person underneath you. Like you can still do it just fine. Um, and it's true, but there definitely is like, I don't know. It's 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 a little bit more f like fun to feel like you can uh, fly a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, we really encourage everyone to try all three roles at least early on in the practice. Eventually, as you become more experienced, or for us, like in our own solo or home practice, I guess we'll call it when just the two of us are doing acro together. Uh, we definitely kind of identify more with a flyer or a base. And that's a really natural progression to start to make. Um, there's some badass female bases and there's some guys that are just amazingly light and tight, beautiful flyers. And I think everybody just ends up finding the thing that really connects with them. But overall, um, it's less, just like regular yoga, it's less about the physical practice and more about like, what energy am I trying to create within myself and with the connections of the people around me? What kind of impact am I trying to uh, create as a ripple effect from connecting with other people, from trusting and telling somebody what I need? And that has done huge things for our relationship um, with each other romantically and then our relationships with the challenging people in our lives, family members or friends or coworkers that uh, maybe have been 
frustrating at times. We have a managerial type person that we've dealt with in a work setting that we were super frustrated with. And then she ended up in one of our acro classes and it was really eye-opening to us as teachers. Like, oh, she struggles a lot with trust, with communication, with leaning on other people. And that made so much sense for us to understand the struggles we had had with her on a business level. So if you're um, aware enough and paying attention, there's so many lessons to be learned in your own solo asana practice as well as a partner, you know, acro type class. Now with acro, it's it's done something really unique with your own connection to each other. Can you talk about how it's brought you guys a lot closer and how much trust it has built with between you two? <laughs> it's uh, kind of interesting. A, a little juicy backstory is that uh, originally, you know, we knew each other through the studio and stuff like that. And um, there was a acro workshop being put on at the studio that we both worked at. And I had plans to go with my husband at the time and he did not show up and bailed last minute like he was kind of in that place of doing we were definitely on the tail end of that relationship and Jordan was there and we ended up partnering up and um, doing that acro workshop together and it was really eye-opening to me to have somebody who showed up and who was there and I could count on that person and there was definitely some connection moments that uh, made me realize that there was more out there than what I was currently in. I was so bad, though. You were not very good. Yeah, you dropped me <laughs> so many times. But you kept trying, right? And you were there, and you wanted to learn. And I think, like, as a yogi, as a hmm, as a female yogi with kids who's been through multiple failed marriages, I will say that uh, I kind of made a statement to myself right around then that I would um, only pursue relationships with people who were on the same level that I was on. And that means yogically and beyond. So not just like, can they do a wicked handstand, but like, do they give a shit? Like, do they want to try? Do they want to learn? Do they want to be better at something? Are they willing to, uh, fail to drop me on my head to apologize and say, how can I be better? Let's, let's do this better together. And so I think that was a, a cool thing to get a glimpse at. And then uh, when we went off to do our acro training together, that was our kind of our first step out into the world of being in an actual relationship. That was quite a bit later, about a year and a half or so later, where we had been playing around with the practice a little bit, doing Instagram challenges, but uh, we weren't really that serious about acro or, or each other necessarily. And then when we went off to go do our training in Bali with Yoga Beyond, our first level one was when we first kind of took that big step into the world of like, let's fully do this. Let's let's learn acro vinyasa. Let's learn how to be a confident, strong couple that uh, is ready to do really epic things in the world. Yeah, and so kind of just we talked about with observing your own craziness when you're <laughs> doing acro, you're because. I guess one of the big things is when you're doing yoga in general, there's a bit of a meditation that goes into it. Your flow tends to feel like a meditation because moving you're not thinking about what poses next. You're just moving with the class and doing what you need to do and you're breathing and it all kind of reaches this elevated meditative observational state. 
And so similar to meditation where you're observing your own craziness, when there's two of you together, you're in a flow. That's what we like specifically about acro vinyasa too, beyond just acro in general. It's this very much flow-based. We're, we're taking postures that we did on the ground into the air and we're connecting them all together like a vinyasa sequence. Um, and so when you start to get into this flow, you start to observe how you're reacting to the person that's also like doing the poses with you. So if I'm basing and she's flying and I'm just not feeling comfortable in something, it's super easy to get annoyed and be like, that's your fault. You're mm -hmm. doing this wrong. Why are you doing this wrong? But Acro's done a great job at helping our communication because instead of just saying you're doing this wrong, it's, hey, could you try this and that'll make it better for us? And I think that's insanely important for us as individuals is to be able to say. To be able to communicate our needs rather yeah. than placing blame on why the other person isn't doing what we'd like. It's like, all right, this is, this is how, what I might need from you in a way that is uh, loving and supportive. And um, yeah, it's really always super interesting when we teach a couples oriented, most of our acro vinyasa classes, like you just show up, you don't need a partner. The, the point is to really like meet and connect with other people. But there are times where we'll do a specifically, uh, maybe a Valentine's Day focus, like couples class where you show up with your significant other and that's always been super interesting to observe relationship dynamics and the people who I think are going to really grow from the practice and the people who this practice might uh, make them very aware of the fact that maybe they're not wonderfully suited for each other. <laughs> so not exactly on that note, but on that note, you and your significant other yeah. both went through our teacher training. Yeah. And you ended up proposing during the teacher training, correct? Well, not at TT, no, but I during know. that time but frame. Like yeah, that during time the time. Frame. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been epic if you'd done it at TT. Dude, Brian, <laughs> I think this is a little more epic. Yeah, that's but, true. That's right. Patagonia is a little epic. Yeah, yeah I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> but, so I guess I'll flip that question back on you. I, I don't know if you guys have continued to play with it at all, but have you guys felt that just attempting it in our situation has helped you in any sort of a relationship standpoint? It definitely kind of forces you to start trusting each other, especially when you're first doing acro and it's the first time you're putting someone on your feet. And mm -hmm. for the first time putting someone on your feet, it's your significant other and you're sitting there going, well, I don't want to drop them and break their neck. So mm -hmm. you definitely, there's that fear behind there of, I really don't want to hurt this person, but there's also a part of you that's like, I need to be here to support them and protect them as I'm flying them and vice versa too. When they're up on your feet, they want to make sure that they're doing things correctly as well to uh, better support you so it's not as much work for the baser. Yeah. So we've definitely noticed that it does build more of a connection and there's more of a communication too, because sometimes, you know, if I say adjust your right hip or something, um, or sometimes the position I'm in, you know, I might've meant the left hip. So being able to communicate <laughs> with different parts of your body, uh, through your feet and through your hands, instead of just through words and, um, being able to move together in a synchronized way is, it makes for a really unique connection. Yeah. yeah, so imagine doing that and doing that and getting better at it and getting to a point where you're performing a flow and you're really not 
able to verbally communicate with each other. Either it's too loud or people might hear you or there's music. And so you're literally just having to move intuitively by a little press of a foot or a squeeze of a hand or this eye contact. And uh, I think when you start to practice to a point where you can really get into a flow state together, right? So we try to achieve this flow state as individuals in a lot of different ways through our work, through our creativity, through our yoga, through our meditation. But to be able to get into a flow state with another human being is pretty epic. And uh, it's something that we work towards. And there's times where um, we might come to a, a yoga, uh, acro yoga type of challenge like all right well we want to accomplish this pose or this transition and if we go at it in that way it's a hot mess <laughs> we rush it we don't warm up enough we don't take the time to connect and pretty quickly like i'm kind of done i'm like yeah that that's this isn't going to happen today i can feel pretty quickly when it's done and jordan on the other hand is very like we can do it don't give up this is going to happen i'm if like you all right noticed, i'm the yeah. the happy go lucky unicorn and she's the grounded <laughs> I'm pretty grounded, but that's okay because sometimes like it's okay to say this isn't going to happen today and, and then touch base again on another day or it is okay for the other person to say, no, like let's do this and, and all right, if you're going to be persistent and you want to make this happen, then let's communicate with each other like how, how, how do we need to go about this? We obviously didn't approach it the right way. It's a hot mess. How can we come down and regroup and make this work? And a lot of times it's uh, calibrating and calibrating might be taking a moment to just lean into your partner's feet. Maybe it's sitting back to back and meditating and breathing together, but like getting on the same wavelength before you put the other person up in the air and start spinning around on your feet. To me, I think it's so important. And that's just the grounding aspect of the yoga part of the acro that I think is missing in a lot of the practices of what earlier on of what I thought acro yoga was because I just kind of had seen it and and approached it with other people in a way that was a little bit more um, uh, result heavy, like get to the results rather than enjoying and, and really growing on the journey as you move through this, uh, this thing with another person. Which is meditation. Yes, it's all <laughs> meditation. <laughs> it's all connected back. It's all the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, if if anyone has not tried Acro, I definitely recommend them going out and trying it. And if people listening are local to the Western Washington area, you guys are actually doing uh, Acro Vinyasa workshop later in January. Yeah, we have one coming up here. I think it's on the 27th in Maple Valley. And we haven't been to that studio yet. Uh, so that'll be really cool to go meet some new people and they contact Acro contacted us and we're super excited to have us come out and and uh do a little i think it's like a two and a half hour workshop so it should be fun lots of play time and as we close up here i have one more question for you both what would you like to accomplish with yoga from here on forward in the yoga communities and across the world Oof. Big question. Just one thing? <laughs> There's so many things. Uh, I would say something that's kind of in the forefront of my mind lately, uh, we've been talking about it a lot in this last day or two, is trying to expand our offerings beyond what you can find in a studio um, 
and beyond your income level. So uh, experimenting a little bit with a Facebook Live class, experimenting with um, popping up at different spaces throughout our area or wherever we happen to be traveling and doing donation-based classes where you can bring us an apple or 20 bucks or a hug and you get to practice and it doesn't matter what you're wearing or what state you're in and we're there and we're super excited to connect with you so that's kind of where my mindset has been a little bit right now is like expanding what we're doing onto a level that is truly accessible to everybody yeah and i don't know mine's of I've always, I guess it almost feels kind of like an Instagram comment, but I've always <laughs> wanted to travel. I've always wanted to go more places and experience more cultures. Um, and so for me, it's very much how can I use, I, I guess you asked me about yoga specifically, but I'll use yoga and music since that that's kind of my two things combined is that I want to use those two things to be able to travel to different places and connect with individuals on a level beyond English. Mm-hmm. English has become the almost universal language, but I want to be able to transcend language, spoken language, to be able to connect to individuals through yoga and through music. I love that. Yeah, I like that too. Both of you have started your own podcast called the Gravity Lift Podcast. That can be found on iTunes now, correct? Yep. I got it up on iTunes. We got a a couple more episodes that we have already recorded. I'm just waiting to try to piece together some intros and outros so that I have it nice and clean. But yeah, those should be coming out. Yeah, fairly the music regularly. side of him. He wants to have a nice little ditty musical intro at the beginning. So he's crafting that. If you haven't noticed, same with meditation, I kind of have a, a need for all things to be perfect before I really launch something forward. And I'm like, whatever, just put it out. So we, we got some episodes <laughs> out if you want to go listen to those and stay tuned for more. Yeah. And then Antonella, you did a a video with Cody Apps. Can you talk about what that video is? Oof, that's (laughs) it. It's an intense video. It's a a video project that we spent about nine months curating with the awesome people at Cody. They came and interviewed me about um, my journey through self-esteem and multiple surgeries uh, implant surgery, explant surgery, uh, loss of body part surgery. It's been kind of a hot mess. Um, but yeah, in my journey through all of that, through with the practice of yoga, with being a teacher, and they put it together in such a beautiful way. It's like a five or six minute video. At this point, I think 90 plus thousand people have viewed it, which is awesome. And we really want to keep that rolling and keep uh, spreading the vibes. It's basically uh, tagged as uh, you are loved is kind of the mantra that comes uh, with it. And uh, it's just a nice little reminder of the struggle that we all kind of deal with, with our own body and self-esteem and the ways that yoga helped me through that. And uh, yeah, I I would love for people to check it out. You can find it on our website uh, or on Cody app is probably the easiest way to find it on our, our website though. Your website is gravitylift.space. Dot space. We love those space vibes. Is there anywhere else that people can find you on the interwebs, 
obviously social media platforms are huge. Are you guys are on Instagram, correct? Yeah, I would say Instagram is a pretty easy way to find us. It's just Gravity Lift on Instagram. On Facebook, uh, it's more of our personal accounts. Uh, as yogis, I've uh, we we've ex- kind of gotten a pretty good following just as who we are, Antonella and Jordan. And we had a business page on there, but I have recently disabled it uh, for reasons of Facebook algorithm bullshit. So <laughs> we're focusing our um, strengths more so on, yeah, Instagram and then our personal Facebook pages are probably the best ways to find us. Awesome. Well, I appreciate both of you coming onto the show to talk about your yoga journey and what you want to do with yoga and a lot more information about yoga. And now we know that it's not just about stretching. So thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having us. And uh, I'll be sure to hit you up soon and we'll try to get you on our podcast. Yeah. Of course. That'd be fun. All right. Thank you. There you have it, folks. That was the whole conversation with Jordan and Antonella of Gravity Lift Yoga. And as you can see, there's a lot more to yoga than just the stretching factor. I also took on Antonella's challenge about getting started with meditating, and I have been doing it for the last six days. And I I do it right before I go to bed. And I have noticed that when I go to sleep, my head is a lot more clear and I don't have a million things popping into my brain like I used to because that seems to be the time when most of my business ideas comes creeping in when in reality I should be sleeping. So I definitely noticed some improvements and it's only been six days. So I'm going to continue this for at least a month to see what else it can do for myself and for my brain. And I will report back in a later episode. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews do help to get this podcast in front of more people. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, that will take you right to the ratings page and you can help us out. Keep climbing to the peak of your health.